welcome to Popper's Cage, the classic Popper podcast. My name is Gabo, and I'll be one of your hosts today. Here with me is Dime Collector. Hey, Dime, what's up? Hey, how you doing, man? It's been a while. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, how are things on your side? They're pretty good. I can't complain when I get to talk about magic for a good hour or so. Oh, that's, yeah, it's uh, a lot of fun. Um, so we've got a, a bunch of things lined up for today. Uh, let's hope we can uh, get through them. First, I want to talk a, uh, a little bit about clans. Um, MTGO has these groups that you can belong to called clans. They don't have huge benefits in terms of what MTGO is, but uh, you get a special clan chat, and you can chat with your clan members, and the count for boosters that each member wins gets combined, and there's a little top five list on the homepage that shows uh, which clans have won the most boosters. Uh, but the basic idea is that you belong to a group of like-minded people, and you can play magic with them and discuss everything. So are you part of a, any clan, Diane? Actually, no, and I haven't even really looked into the clans, but it, it's something that once you brought it up, uh, I realized that it would actually be really beneficial. I've been thinking about trying to form some sort of playtesting group, and I was actually going to talk to you about that as well. Um, so could be the fact that I end up joining one, or perhaps we could even try and start one at some point in time. Yeah. Well, let, let me tell you about two clans here. Uh, I'm actually part of the Limited Resources clan. You may have heard of it. It's the biggest clan in MTGO right now. It's led by Marshall Sutcliffe. He's, uh, he's one of the uh, hosts of Limited Resources. And it, it actually has over uh, 1,500 members. Uh, and uh, thanks to that large amount of people, it's making its way to the top clan in MTGO. Um, but that one's more of a limited play clan, uh, as the name obviously suggests. But just recently, I I registered for um, this kind of news group uh, for the Popper Crew, and they have their own their own very cool clan. And I was seeing, uh, I was I was talking, well, kind of going back and forth with some of their members and they have a, a lot of organized events and, and they, they post a lot of strategy, uh, well, strategy guides and, and links to strategy guides. And I actually saw they were linking to, to our blog and that's why I, I went to check them out. And I think that's one of the better, uh, popper oriented clans right now. They're, they're pretty serious about it. They want people who, who are really committed to, to playing and to um, giving to their community and, and posting stuff. So I think that's an interesting client for anyone who's interested in, in general in, in joining a, a popper clan. Cool. Yeah, you know, that actually sounds really neat to me. And I like that they have sort of a a new level of competition that you could explore trying to be one of the top members of the clan and uh, try and that would be a good motivation to, to play more often and, and try and uh, win more, you know? So they gave us a few uh, encouraging words about the, uh, the, the blog that we've created and the podcast. Um, but you know, other than that, we didn't uh, receive much feedback from listeners in general from the previous podcast uh, there was one comment 
from a user called Space Crab. <laughs> and he was the one that said that he said we were focusing too much on the cost of the cards. So try and not uh, discuss too much. Like if, if a card was, um, oh, I'm not sure if he meant mana cost or the price of them. <laughs> I guess he, do, he doesn't want us to be discussing that. And he, but something he said was he wanted us to break down why cards are useful in the current metagame. So when we go back to uh, deck analysis and, you know, we're for the Avacyn restored picks, uh, we, can, we can discuss, you know, just how they're going to be affecting the metagame. I think, I think that's something very interesting and very useful. Yeah, that sounds great. And thank you, Space Crab, for not only having an awesome name, but for giving us some feedback there. So, Dime, you wanted to talk about Avacyn Restored. Yeah, I do. We've got a new set on the horizon, and it's pretty exciting, I think. I would say it definitely is. So why don't we start with white, not only because it's the the first color, but it's also the best color in Magic. (laughs) Okay, for sure. That sounds good. Let's uh, let's take a look at some of the white cards. All right. So a card that I think won't surprise you that I'm I'm mentioning is called Cloud Shift. Mm, That one I definitely expected. Uh, It seems like it has a lot of uh, potential with uh, what? any creature that has any effect when it comes into play. Um, so what does that one do again? Cloud Shift is a, an instant, and it costs white, and the text reads as follows. Exile target creature you control, then return that card to the battlefield under your control. So it's essentially uh, a momentary blink effect for half the price uh, without flashback. One thing I want to say about the card is I actually don't think it's going to be seeing much play in momentary blink type decks. You really don't need that many instances of that effect. Every time I've played a momentary blink deck because of the the flashback, you're essentially getting twice the card. And I rarely have seen or played four momentary blinks in those kind of decks, let alone felt I needed a you know fifth, sixth, seventh copy of it. This is definitely one of the cards that my opinion has kind of gone back and forth. And originally, I didn't think it would be that useful. However, um, looking at the card now, I really think that this is probably one of the best sort of, I guess you would call them stave-off type effects that exists in the format because it's it serves as not only a way to protect your creatures but it, it just is so versatile think of at the end of someone's turn being able to blink let's say you know an Ication javelinier and then kill their their other creature but because you're doing it at instant speed it's something they're really not going to be planning for you can also use this as a really cool combat trick where you have your guys tapped on the battlefield and they attack you and you you know it's essentially a removal spell then so i think there's a lot of applications for the card and it's cheap enough at a single white that it it could definitely see some play in various white decks 
you know, I've seen uh, lists in the dailies for White Weenie where people are playing Shelter a little while back, and that's, a, you know, a very a much narrower card. What, what does Shelter do? I'm, shelter I'm is an instant for one in white, and it's similar to cards like Stave Off or Apostle's Blessing where it gives a creature you control protection from a color. Oh, yeah, yeah. And a turn, and, and it also draws you a card. So um, I think one of the things holding a card like that back is, it, you know, at two mana, it's it's a little tough for White Weenie to hold open two mana and be that reactive. So this kind of gets around that a little bit, having the cheaper mana requirement. So something that I that I uh, that I like about this card is that it returns the card to the battlefield under your control. So it's a uh, it's a good combo with threaten effects that uh, so the, those those red cards that just uh, gain control of a creature it gains haste uh, return it to its owner at the end of turn so what you can do is you use a threaten effect you, you do something with it then you apply a cloud shift and it stays under your control I can't say that I could see that being a prominent strategy uh, I mean the best case scenario for that would be something like Ulamog's Crusher, where you just steal that. Um, so I don't think there's similar, you know, too many similar situations where you, you could be that game-breaking with, with that kind of strategy. But, you know, I'd love to be proven wrong there, because that sounds like a lot of fun. So what's the next card on your mind? Uh, well, also in white, I... Definitely would like to talk about a card called Righteous Blow. So it's also an instant that costs white. And Righteous Blow deals two damage to target attacking or blocking creature. I've already played cards like Sunlance and Smite even in my sideboards and main decks of White Weenie. Uh, Righteous Blow is actually, I think, in some ways better than both of those cards primarily because it gives us a card that we can use in the mirror match as a cheap removal spell. It's also, I think, going to have applications against a lot of decks in the format because there's a lot of small creatures in the format. But with this card, you don't even need to use it only against small creatures because it also targets blocking creatures. So there's situations where you can swing your guys into a Spire Golem or something like that, and then also kill it, which I think could be pretty advantageous. My only worry is that it might not it might not be doing enough for a single card. I suppose because you, you you're definitely going to need um, you know some creature combat to deal with the bigger creatures, and sometimes the smaller creatures are are just simple enough uh, to deal with, uh, in, in the case of White Weenie, just with the normal creatures. And there's also the limitation that it can't deal with utility creatures, because they have to be attacking or blocking. Yeah, those are some pretty good points. I'm not sure what utility creatures um, would be much of a problem as far as not being able to target with this one. Um but I think it, this card definitely has some pretty strong applications, including uh, having an instant speed way 
that doesn't cost triple white to deal with um, ninja type cards and fairy effects. Instant speed removal is, I feel, pretty uh, important when you're playing against decks like fairies and mono black, being able to respond to certain things and taking the opportunity to do so when they can't counter what you're doing or respond in turn. And I remember Alex Ullman uh, in his article mentioning that he didn't think this card would be very good against fairies because if you uh, target a guy, they'll have the opportunity to use ninjutsu and bring out Ninja the Deep Hours. And I really don't like that argument because Ninja the Deep Hours is probably the number one target you want to use with this card to begin with. Uh, I think that this is as as a way to kill that card and being an uncounterable uh, Vindicate on their Phantasmal Bears for one mana is pretty good. Um, so I actually am looking forward to playing with the card. You bring up a good point that it, it's not going to be uh, a type of you know game-breaking effect, but uh, as I mentioned, I think it'll be pretty interesting to try this one out in the mirror at the very least uh, because... It's a cheap removal spell. Unlike something like Sunlance, uh, it can actually target <laughs> the white the opposing creatures. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a good point with the with the um, with the ninjas. In fact, I, I think that thing about the ninjas not not being good is totally invalid because if if you're targeting the creature before you blocked it, they can't bounce it back because it hasn't been. Un, it has, it's not unblocked yet, right? You, you can't use the ninja's ability until after blockers have been declared. So you, yeah, that's can, a that's a really good point too. Yeah, you, you can target the creature before that, or you can block it and then target the creature, and then you can't use the the ninja's ability because it's already been blocked. Or you can just wait until they you know use the ninja. My only concern there is that it's obviously not not that useful against spell stutter sprite which is for me at least one of the main uh, instant speed removal targets in that deck you know just to get through sure. whatever you want to do uh, but that's just an unfortunate drawback that, that this card has yeah but think about it this card's getting us that much closer to having more ways to deal with those dreaded spell stutter sprites yeah where yeah. the color pie is moving <laughs> a little bit in that direction. We don't. I mean, this is the probably the second ever white damage spell I can think of that's playable in Popper. All right, I'm going to talk about a card that I thought was going to be pretty good, but now that I think about it, might not be. However, it's not. Uh, it, I guess it's not one to completely forget about and just keep it in the back of your guys' minds. Now, I've been a fan of playing or at least trying to play variations of green-white aura-type decks where you're uh, essentially using some efficient creatures that are available in green and white, but also some very difficult-to-kill creatures, and then you're throwing auras on these guys. So with that being said, that brings me to a card called Call to Serve. And this is an enchantment aura for one and a white and it says, Enchant Non-Black Creature. 
Enchanted creature gets plus one, plus two, has flying, and is an angel in addition to its other types. Now, before everyone stones me to death on this card... I was just going to say, that's holy strength. Yeah, it's holy strength with, with flying. So, uh, uh, for one extra mana, you are getting, uh, you are getting the, the evasion here. So, so this is, this is what I have to say about the card. First of all, it costs only two. It's cheaper than a lot of the auras, which, uh, typically the effective ones are at, at three. I'm generalizing here, but just in terms of green, white, let's, we'll, let's say. So it's already easy, easily splashable. It's easy to cast because it doesn't have any double color requirements. And I think it's something that uh, some of the more, well, pretty much all the Hexbrew creatures really need. And the first is evasion because um, they already can't be targeted. So really what they're, what's missing is um, them being able to get through without being blocked. And then the second thing is a higher toughness because all the hexproof guys are X ones and they're very fragile in that respect. So if you just think about, um, you know, there's eight one drop hexproof guys to begin with. So if you think about a series of plays where you play a hexproof guy on turn one and then you throw this on him next turn, you, you're swinging with a two three flying hexproof creature on turn two. And in Popper, that sounds, I mean, to me, that's actually pretty hard for a lot of decks to deal with coming straight out of the gates. 2-3 is a reasonable body. And uh, Flying and Hexproof are both uh, pretty relevant in terms of forcing your opponent to try and deal with that situation. Now, uh, let's get to some of the the downsides of this card and the first is the fact that this card actually already exists there's a card called nimbus wings from the zendikar block and we all know how much play that has seen (laughs) in the format which is absolutely none so it could be that this type of effect is just not powerful enough and it might be too risky uh Auras like this are pretty soft to counter magic, soft to effects like Seismic Shudder as well, the sweeper effects at instant speed that can really blow you out and make you, you know, get two for one. And I think the biggest issue is that a deck like this, green-white, which is where I see this card maybe seeing play, in my experience, has always been absolutely miserable against uh, Mono Blue Fairies. It's the number one reason that I haven't played Green-White in a while, is that I haven't been able to make that matchup any good at all. And uh, sadly, this card doesn't really change anything uh, in terms of making that matchup better. So until, at least for me, that that matchup um, is somehow made better or by some miracle... Uh, blue fairies just disappears for a while then we can probably talk about this card but until (laughs) then i don't i i've kind of flipped i've kind of done a 180 on my uh excitement for it though it's like i said in the beginning not one to forget about just keep it in the back of your mind and maybe some someday somehow it'll have some applications Um, just as an aside here why do you think uh green white decks have a bad matchup against fairies 
Um, I don't know if I could break it down as to why. It's just more of like my experience, I guess. Um, with the green-white decks, it really beating fairies really hinges upon landing some of these auras. Obviously, armadillo cloak is the most powerful thing you can do in in these type of decks, and uh, that costs three. So it's it's fairly easy for um, a fairies deck to play around the possibility of you having that and, and be very reactive. Think of um, their value cards like Snap, Spell Stutter Sprite, uh, Counter Spell. Um, they can they can make these tempo plays while we're kind of just stuck. Uh, hoping to get a good opportunity to land these cards. It, it just never works out <laughs> in my experience in a, in a good way. And uh, I've even gone as far as putting main deck between two and four copies of cards like Matsu Tribe Sniper. I don't yeah. know if you're familiar with that guy. Yeah, but yeah he, he deals one damage to a flying creature, right? It's a snake. Yeah, and it taps the creature as well. So oh, okay. You, so even if it's like a Spire Golem, you kind of have a, a Gideon's Lawkeeper that doesn't cost mana uh, on it. And that was not even enough. So, and, I mean, th- we're talking a deck where I was playing four main deck River Boa, Squadron Hawks, ev- everything I could to try and uh, shore up the matchup, and it still didn't really matter. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I haven't really analyzed it. It was just more of a, a frustration thing that I realized that this matchup was just really awful. Well, it, it's it's funny that you mentioned that. Just yesterday, um, just I I wanted to play a little bit of Magic, and I didn't want to play the same decks I always play. So I I, I just started a match with the green white tokens deck. You seen you seen this deck? Um, it's the yeah, one... I've, se- I've seen. Um... Well, bear in mind, I've, I was kind of out of the uh, the meta game for a while, but I've seen the older versions where they had Soul Warden and Spider Silk Armor, yeah, and cards like that. That that's that's exactly the one. That's the version okay. I had, and um, I went up against a, a fairy's deck, and he just couldn't deal with um, well with my board. Both games, I I ended up. Putting in the the little guy that that creates one token every turn, you tap him and another guy and mm-hmm. the mana, and I got the spider silks uh, cloak in there. That's the one that that gives all your guys plus zero plus one and reach. Yeah, yeah. And you just couldn't get through. Like I was I was gaining life, um, and just just putting little tokens, and he he was using up his his cards into slowing down my tokens and I was just creating more tokens. And in both games it seems I was able to to just just win there. So I felt, oh well, maybe this has a good matchup. But maybe I just got lucky <laughs> in that one. Um well it could be the case that you have a good matchup. I think tokens and and the deck I'm talking about, which is more of uh focus on auras, definitely have two kind of different differing strategies. So a card like I, I don't remember her name, but the one you're talking about that generates tokens every turn. Yeah, that's definitely pretty strong against them because she only costs two, right? Yes. And then once she's on the board, 
uh, that activated ability there's not is not counterable or anything. So um, I think that's probably pretty strong against them. And then you know, giving your guys reach with the spider silk armor, I'm sure was uh, was nice to have against all their flyers too. Definitely, yeah. Okay, so you know, you you, you actually uh, kind of convinced me on the call to surf uh, on, on how well it like it would benefit uh, a deck like the one that uses a armadillo cloak. But yeah, I guess the fact that the previous version of it hasn't been used, it, it's not a good sign. Yeah, but we also um, we also can't use that logic a hundred percent because there's plenty of great cards that aren't seeing play uh, that doesn't really take away from the value of of their usefulness. So um, it's sort of a double edged sword. It could be the fact that people have just overlooked this, uh, but maybe not. <laughs> maybe it's not being played for a reason. You know. Okay, so uh, what's the next card? Okay, this one is another one of the cards that I thought would be pretty good, but the more and more I think about it, the the more skeptical I'm getting. This will be the last of the, the white cards. Okay. This is called Midvast Protector. It costs three and a white, so converted mana costs of four. For a creature, human wizard, its body is two power, three toughness. So it's a two, three, and has an ability. When Midvast Protector enters the battlefield, target creature you control gains protection from the color of your choice until end of turn. Okay. So um, I don't know what the best card to compare this to would be. Perhaps something like Course Sanctifiers. Uh, because that's another 2-3 that you're typically playing for 4 that has an enter-the-battlefield ability. Now, uh, I think the the biggest issue with this card is that it costs 4, and th- we already have uh, some better cards for 4, yeah. uh, at least in White Weenie. That obviously, I'm, I'm referring to that, I, I suppose. Firstly... Um, so Guardian, the Guild Pact, and even Core Sanctifiers, I think, is a little better than this guy, simply because you have the option of playing it for three if you don't want to use the ability. And the uh, the Vindicate on Core Sanctifiers is pretty good. It's it's a very good effect. Yeah. I think if this guy is going to see play at all, it could be um, in a deck that wants to abuse his Enter the Battlefield trigger by cloud shift (laughs) right exactly Uh, those type of effects um and uh, you know if he costs three i think we'd be there but i think four is just a little too much at this point in time but he is a human and and i want people to keep that in mind because i'm going to be talking about humans a little later on so uh just i just want people in general to start really taking note of the creature types and, and looking for for synergies there because there's always uh, some opportunities when uh, and I've learned that through through playing allies of all things so yeah. uh, just a little <laughs> side note yeah, I, I, I can sniff a, a red white humans deck uh, brewing somewhere maybe that'll happen 
Wow, you're a very intelligent man. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> okay, so so those were all the whites. Um, all right, what's what's the next color you want to talk about? Well, let's move on to blue. Okay, blue has my my favorite card for popper in the set. Oh, awesome. I think it has probably my second or third favorite. I, my favorite card is actually green, believe it or not. I, oh. I wouldn't be surprised. There's <laughs> some good stuff in green. All right. Okay, so here's the first card, and this is a little uh, a little iffy. This <laughs> card is called Dreadwaters. This is a uh, sorcery for three and a blue, and it reads... Target player puts the top X cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard, where X is the number of lands you control. So you're thinking a mill deck could, uh, could rear its head. Well, I, I'm thinking two different things for this card. When I first saw this, uh, the, the absolute first inclination I thought is that uh, this could see play as maybe a one-of or probably not more than a one-of, or maybe a two-of in a very flashback-heavy cloud post type of deck because they're already fetching up lands, getting a lot of lands into play, and uh, four mana for them is not a huge deal. And I have seen some flat, uh, excuse me, some cloud post decks that are really heavily focused on playing, you know, the forbidden alchemy type strategy and using as many flashback spells as they can. So um, this could be an enabler for something like that. There's there's also a lot of uh, graveyard interactions, clearly, in this block as a whole, particularly in red and blue, as we've seen. So maybe it could spawn some sort of uh, new... I mean, just the, the, the amalgam of the cards as a whole could spawn some new type of archetype where... Uh, the player's really interested in dredging themselves or or achieving threshold or something like that. So, uh, you know, in my head, the wheels are kind of turning for how this uh, card could see play in that sort of extent. Now, as you said, there's also the potential to use this on your opponent and mill them. Now, I don't claim to know uh, how that would work, but... I think this card at least has some potential if someone was interested in finding a way to put a lot of lands onto the battlefield and, and, and dare I say, make some kind of combo with this card in order to mill the opponent out. Now, that's probably going to be a little bit more effort and more work than it's probably worth at the end of the day, but I know there are several people who are interested in making mill be an actual thing in Popper, so you never know. I think this could be a, a good card to start, you know, getting wrapping your head around and and, and trying to make it work at least. Um, I actually have one one idea I can think of for this card. Uh, you may have seen some of the the mono blue control decks that are creature light. Uh, okay. The one headed by Paul Denton. Uh -huh. um, that one uses um, this blue curse in its sideboard against Cloudpost, um, basically to finish them off by milling them because they're so slow. Um, 
I was thinking this could make a good sideboard for a Cloudpost deck versus the Mirror. Because uh, Cloudposts play a lot of lands, eventually. And they draw a lot of cards. So their library starts to run out. They take a long time. So I think uh, one of these, uh, protected by counter magic in the Cloudpost Mirror, could be pretty strong against the, uh, the opposite Cloudpost deck. Yeah, I think that you bring up some really good points there. And uh, I've actually been playing that Mono Blue deck that you mentioned. Uh, Paul Denton, what a great uh, contributor to the Popper format. He's basically the champion of this deck. He's one of the only guys out there that, that plays it. But he consistently continues to just, you know, beat down with it and, and yeah. get results. Yeah, he's 4 uh, and the curse is actually very uh, a very strong sideboard card, believe it or not. As you mentioned, against cloud posts, it's very good in those type of control mirrors, and it it's actually the primary way to beat mono black in with that deck because um, only playing twelve creatures, mono black can basically kill all that. <laughs> okay, yeah, and uh, they're also quite slow against the mono blue deck. They can't. I mean, they can kill you. If, but they need a combination of things. They need to stick creatures and hit corrupts and, and stuff like that. So milling them is actually the best way of beating them. So you know what? You're, you're getting me even more excited about this card. <laughs> there's, there's always some hidden stuff in there. I, I love it when, when somebody comes up with a cool way to use some card that everyone had just, you know, just discarded. <clears throat> All right, so let's move on to the next card, and I have a feeling that um, you are a fan of this as much as I am. This card is called, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, Elgod Shieldmate. Yes, that is the card that I have my eye on. All right, cool. So this is a, uh, it's a cost four. It's three colorless, one blue, so it's very splashable already. We're getting a creature, human soldier. Again, human and soldier, both very relevant creature yeah. types. And it's a 2-3 body. Uh, so similar to Midvast Protector, we've already got a 2-3 body there. And it's got a new mechanic from the set, and this is called Soul Bond. Now, I'm pretty sure most people know what this is, but I'm going to read it just so that we can uh, establish it. I, uh, before you do that, I just want to point out that you are the first person in a live podcast to say soul bond correctly when <laughs> saying it for the first time. Yes. Well, you know what? I have hope for humanity then. We're <laughs> making positive strides. All right. So soul bond. You may pair this creature with another unpaired creature when either enters the battlefield. They remain paired for as long as you control both of them. And the, uh, the pairing ability that shieldmate has is as long as Elgod's shieldmate is paired with another creature both creatures have hexproof oh snap <laughs> so for me this is a card that i am really itching to build around um i don't know where she goes i don't think she has a home already that's my personal opinion i don't know what i'm saying is i don't think there's a pre-existing deck where she just is an obvious inclusion but having a two three hexproof body 
that also gives you a, another creature with hexproof. It just on paper looks really sick and really exciting to me. Now, four is a lot, but I, I think once we start, I mean, maybe even on this show, once we start, you know, kind of brainstorming and thinking of how to use this card, we could probably find some pretty good interactions. I, I'm, I'm thinking that it's going to go well in a blue-green deck, uh, kind of mid-rangey, kind of trying to do the same thing that um, that your your red red green deck was doing, casting creatures that were difficult to deal with. Um, but here you're going to be having blue and green. Uh, you'll have little tricks. You could have counter magic. You'll have acceleration. I think there's I think there's something there. Yeah, I like the way you think. The the green, as you mentioned, giving the acceleration, getting this this lovely ginger lady out on <laughs> on turn three or so uh, sounds pretty exciting. And the cool thing about Soul Bond is that um, you can either play it where you hold this this young young lady back, and you have your guy on the board, and then you play her and instantly give them both hexproof, or you could uh, play her out initially. And then from there on, uh, each time you play out another creature, you have the option of pairing them up. So, um, well, you, you can only pair them on on the first creature you pair up, right? But the right. next, okay. yeah. And also remember, um, soul bond is triggered. So if this does become a thing, uh, that'll be the way that people can can stop it. You basically have to kill the the shield mate in response to the soul bond trigger or otherwise you're in a lot of trouble. Right. That's a very good point to bring out that this, this is a uh, trigger that people can respond to. So do you, people just need to keep that in mind, but as we will we'll be relevant in a little bit, this ability also does not target uh, the creature that it's pairing with. So right. uh, just leave that on the back burner because I'll be returning to that later. Maybe you'll mention a phantasmal bear I know of? Uh, maybe. We'll have to see. <laughs> All right. Okay. So on to the next one then. Okay. This one is, uh, I'm just going to have a real quick comment on this next card because I really only found one uh, interaction that I thought was relevant. So this card's called Ghost Form. It's a sorcery for one and blue. So converted mana costs two. And it reads, up to two target creatures are unblockable this turn. And my only comment uh, about this card is that if for some reason playing blue-green Infect becomes worthwhile, I think that this card will actually uh, be one of the things that makes that a little more viable. Okay. Uh, it's... Also going to be, if that happens, it'll be one of the most annoying cards that you ever <laughs> see. So uh, let's hope that blue-green, in fact, does not become more popular because that will be even more frustrating than just the, the original version. Well, I, I think a blue-green, in fact, would be slower. So at least that would make it more absolutely interactive, which is what I hate <laughs> about the original, in fact. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the things that's... Uh, keeping blue-green from becoming more prominent is that it's it's just slower. And uh, when you can kill somebody on turn two, why 
why not? <laughs> why yeah. with that? Uh, well, uh, I'll I'll tell you. Uh, Green Stompy is making a comeback, as you've seen, right? Oh, yeah. And that's basically it's it's a very very similar strategy to to Infect, but it has a better mid game uh, response. So if if you don't kill kill your opponent in the first few turns. You, you you can you can recover in the next few turns, so that would be the reason I guess. Yeah, um, and I'm guessing they actually have more creatures overall. Yeah, um, which is relevant because one of the only ways I ever beat Infect is I just kill all their creatures, and <laughs> that seems to work pretty well. Yeah. All right, so the next card, I I'm pretty sure other people will have more things to say about than than me, um, but this is definitely one that could have some applications, and this is called Ghostly Flicker. Okay, so a Cloud Shift times two. Yeah, essentially, Almost. it's a two and a blue instant, um, and it says exile two artifacts, creatures, and or lands you control. Then return those cards to the battlefield under your control. So it, it kind of has a lot of versatile applications. I don't know exactly what they'll be, uh, but I've heard some whispers of people wanting to put this in the Familiar Storm deck uh, in order to bounce those creatures, which they they like to do in that deck, Um, and also use it with the card Mnemonic Wall, which can return an instant or sorcery from your graveyard to the battlefield when it enters enters the battlefield. So it's sort of another combo similar to Snap, uh, that this card has. Um, yeah, I, I, I actually read, just wanted to uh, point something out. I, I read about a, a what, what you call it, a, a hard lock using Ghostly Flicker, Mnemonic Wall, and uh, uh, Chittering Rats, I think it was. Oh, no. Yes. You can, you Ghostly Flicker both of them, and then the mnemonic wall will return the ghostly flicker to your hand and the chittering rats will keep the, you know, one card from your opponent on top of their library. So they never get to draw another card. And you you just keep doing that on their end of their draw step. One thing I just realized about the card that I don't think I noticed before is that you have to choose one card type uh, for this effect. Is that correct? It can only be two of the same card type. No, I don't think so because it says and or. So I think uh-huh. you can, they can be any, any combination. Okay. Well then this card is great. I mean, it has so many possibilities. This already looks even fine in cloud Post itself where they're already using capsize uh, on their own lands, on their own artifacts, uh, you know, on their Ball own drifter. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, this this looks fine. I think this card. Sh- I mean, I think it should see play if anything. Yeah, I, I have that one uh, as uh, something. I think it'll definitely see play as a one or two of in cloud posts. I'm sure some people will try it out as soon as it comes out. Yeah, uh, and we'll it will we'll see if it if it does actually make the the deck stronger, which. I cringe just to think of that. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I'm sure there are many things that this can be played in. And, yeah. You know, you could even have a new deck. Well, blue is always getting the really exciting and awesome things, and now <laughs> they're even becoming more annoying than before. But let's hope that we can find a way to be on the uh, the 
the dealing edge rather than the receiving edge of that uh, of that thing. So maybe we should brew more with blue in general since it's always getting the cool stuff. Yeah. Well, there's there's a, a blue green blue green deck that could could have our style of play. Sounds good to me. All right, so I mean that wraps up all the the blue cards I wanted to talk about. Okay, um, I don't think I have any other cards other than, than those those we just mentioned. Uh, so yeah, um, I will say that there's a card called Galvanic Alchemist. I just <laughs> happened to notice it's a uh, two colorless, one blue for a human wizard, one four. Also has Soulbound. Uh, blah. <laughs> we just jinxed it because I, I just messed it up. Also has Soul Bond um, as well. And this one says that as long as this card, Galvanic Alchemist, is paired with another creature, each of those creatures has an ability, activated ability, of two, uh, two colorless and a blue. So the activated ability costs three. And, when, and it says untap this creature. So, um, I don't know, <laughs> I don't think this will see play, but anytime I, I see something that says untap, you know, this permanent, this creature, I always get a little nervous or suspicious that somebody somewhere is going to find some crazy combo where they're going to be able to loop these kind of effects infinitely and and cause a lot of headaches. So this might not be the card that does it, but I just want to get people always uh, wary of effects that untap things because that can get pretty broken sometimes. Yeah. <clears throat> this is actually the kind of combos I'd like to see more of in Popper uh, that, that require a little bit of setup, uh, a little bit of time, and then just, just explode. Unlike something like uh, Storm, where... You don't require any time. You can go off on the first turn uh, consistently. Well, not on the first turn, but in the first few turns consistently, and it's very difficult to disrupt. I'd rather have more of these combos where you set up the pieces and then you create some, some cool interaction. And, yeah, I think this could combine with... If, if we can get a creature maybe with an aura on it that can generate four mana somehow... Yeah. Uh, and then, then you can generate infinite mana, and then you can kill someone with a roll and thunder. Uh, but obviously those those types of combos require a lot of time, a lot of setup, and they just don't have the necessary disruption to stop all the other decks. And mm. I assume that's why we haven't seen, um, what's that one called, Presence of Gond right. uh, doing anything. But that's not to say that we won't be seeing it in the future. That is not to say that, definitely. All right, so I, as I said, I think that's about it for the blue cards. Okay. But I think that's enough, right? I mean, they got a possible mill win condition, uh, a hexproof hex crazy beater, and a double momentary blink. I think that's, that's pretty solid. Yeah, yeah, I've got some good tools there. Okay, so let's go on to black. Let's have a look. I've got one card here. You got one? I've got, looks like, four. Ooh. <laughs> so, I want to start with Butcher Ghoul. Okay. This is uh, one and a black for a creature, zombie, 
another relevant uh, creature type. Yeah. One one, and it has the ability Undying. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure you guys went over this uh, maybe in the last episode, but this is a uh, mechanic from Dark Ascension. When this creature dies, if it had no plus one, plus one counters on it, return it to the battlefield under its owner's control with a plus one, plus one counter on it. So it's the uh, better version of Persist, perhaps. Yeah. And and this creature is, uh, I guess, a worse version of... Uh... Young Wolf. Young Wolf, yeah. That's right. So, but in black and in a zombie. Right. You you pretty much summed up <laughs> everything about this card. It, it's the crappy Young Wolf, but uh, Young Wolf is a good card. It's already seeing play. It's already good. And this is um, in a relevant creature type. And Undying is just good. I mean, I don't really know what to tell people. Um, it's... It's a very good mechanic. It generates value. It creates board states that the opponent doesn't like. It creates combat the opponent doesn't like. And black already likes to see things die. I mean, it already has a lot of cards that care about that. So this guy could definitely see play. I don't see why not. Um, it's something that could could go into a, a number of black, uh, either aggressive decks or zombie-type decks, or even sacrifice decks, which is something that I've uh, been known to toy around with as well. Yeah. Well, um, I wasn't actually expecting Young Wolf to play to see play, and it, it seems to have brought back Green Stompy, so I just would not be surprised at all if Butcher Ghoul just, uh, you know, we see it there, maybe brings in a zombie deck or yeah, something like a, a sacrifice-based deck, like you're saying. Awesome. Well, you know, you're being very kind to all my ideas, which is <laughs> no. If 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 I see something that that just doesn't uh, doesn't sound good, I will I will tell you. Okay. <laughs> I'll say no. All right. You gotta you gotta keep me in check here. All right. But I, I like to be. I I definitely like to keep my mind open. I I don't want to be. I hate it when people say, "Ah, this card's unplayable." Yeah, like, or, it, or it's like, oh, it's not even a card. It, it, it doesn't even exist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that. That's just not my style. I wanna, I wanna keep my mind open. I wanna, uh, I wanna see new cards, uh, new decks seeing play, and you know, keeping your mind open is the best way to do that. So, yeah. All right. Well, Butcher Ghoul combos pretty well with the next card that I'm going to talk about, and this okay. is called Driver of the Dead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so this is some crazy taxi driver guy, vampire guy. <laughs> uh, he costs three and a black, so it costs four. I think we're seeing a, a uh, trend here that I, I tend to like over-costed, <laughs> expensive yeah. well, uh, four drops. So, something I noticed uh, when we did the the evaluation for the, for Dark Ascension cards was that they all the, all the ones that are seeing play only cost one or two. So I'm a little um, kind of uh, what's weary of of any car that costs more than two even, uh, but so it has to be pretty powerful. So let's see what this one does. Well, that's a great uh, that's a great point, and you should be wary um, because mana curve considerations are very important, and Popper is no different. Uh, yeah. the, the format's very. I think I think mana curves in general are something that that is overlooked by a lot of players and deck builders. So uh, that being said, this is a four drop. 
<laughs> but it's a creature vampire, and it's a 3-2 body. So it's not not terrible. Uh, that's a pretty good body for uh, a 4-drop. However, you know, 2 toughness trades with a lot in this format. Um, that regardless, the fact that it maybe trades will, will lead to its ability, which is as follows. When Driver of the Dead dies... Return target creature card with converted mana cost two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Now, I think that's uh, pretty important in terms of uh, what this card does because in the past, uh, Black has had cards like Gravedigger or um, the one from Innistrad, the uh, zombie ghoul razor. Yeah. And those always bring the cards to your hand. Whereas this brings uh, the creature straight to the battlefield. So it's almost like this guy has Undying in a weird way. Yeah. Or, or maybe Persist would be a better approximation. Because However... Brings... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, well, yeah. I was just going to say it brings in something smaller. Right. Um, however, to get this guy to be really good, you, you really got to jump through some hoops here. Um, first of all, you're going to want to construct your deck in a way that you're playing with a lot of two drops or one drops. And in black, they definitely have those, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, so so there is some potential there. But uh, I guess the other thing is getting this guy to die <laughs> could be a problem because uh, in a lot of ways that hinges upon whether your opponent wants him to die or not. Um now, you could, as I said, try and throw this into some sort of sacrifice strategy, which actually might be worth exploring a little bit because you'd, you'd be getting – I mean, even even with Butcher Ghoul, uh, you know, you, you have your sack outlet. You can already sacrifice Butcher Ghoul twice, uh, yeah. and then you sack this guy. You get, you're going to get two more sacrifice activations uh, immediately. So – I don't know. Maybe that's that, that'll be worthwhile uh, to at least look at. However, four mana, as you said, is a lot. And just getting him to be turned on or, you know, be used at the absolute most optimal way is going to be uh, a little tricky. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the deck I was thinking that his ability could go pretty well in is actually um, the suicide... Well, there are variations... There, there's a there's a black deck, very aggressive deck that uses um, this creature. Oh, I forgot its name. It's a one one that can't block, and it has the ability to sacrifice a creature, put a plus one plus one counter. Yeah, that guy's called Carrion Feeder. That's the one. Yeah. So I was thinking, you know, this guy could work really well with that guy, um, but mm-hmm. I think that deck needs a, a very very tight mana curve and very small creatures. So I'm not sure if this guy would work there. He might work there. You know, another good thing about him is that, as I mentioned, uh, the opponent's not going to want to trade with this guy or block him a lot. So you you could be getting in for three uh, more often than you might think with him. But, you know, I'll say it for the hundredth time, four is a lot because it really is. Um, So we'll see. That could be a place that that he fits in. Yep. Okay. All right. So the next card I'd like to talk about is called Essence Harvest. Okay. Yeah. 
This is a sorcery for two and a black. So it costs three. I'm getting better. Yeah. <laughs> getting cheaper. Um, and it says target player loses X life and you gain X life. And it's where X is the greatest power among creatures you control. So um, I don't I don't want to say that, oh, I think this card is crazy or it this is obviously going to see play, but um, I just want people to – I want people to brew with this card because there are some pretty cool creatures that this works well with, starting probably most obviously with Atog. Okay, yeah. Uh, I think most people are familiar with. It's a card from the Affinity deck that can sacrifice artifacts to give it plus two, plus two. So it, it basically becomes the biggest creature in the format at, at some point in time. And this is a win condition with that card. Um, but also, think about cards like Immolating Soul Eater, which is a card that came from New Phyrexia. Yeah. That uses the Phyrexian mana to uh, pump its power up. A card like this actually not only offsets a lot of that activation cost, but it will dome the opponent for even more damage after you've used the, uh, the Soul Eater. Yeah, that, that, that you've got you've got a great point. There are two great ideas there. Yeah, with the with the soul eater, and I think it's it's better than fling in the in the affinity build because you usually use fling to kill your opponent. I I I've, I don't think I I can uh, count more than a few times uh, when somebody has flinged an atog. At a cre- or, or anything <laughs> at a creature of mine. They just kill you outright with fling. That's what fling is for. So this actually uh, keeps your, your Atog alive and, you know, helps you to race if you need it for that. Yeah, and uh, I, there's one other creature I wanted to mention with this card. It's uh, Kiln Fiend, which... Yeah, I was, thinking, I was thinking that as you started describing the card. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, I mean, simply because this card itself, being a sorcery, already pumps up the Kiln Fiend a little bit. Yeah. And uh, people build around the, the Kiln Fiend type decks. I think this is another card that they could consider uh, throwing in for similar reasons as we talked about with the other creatures. Um, I think that's probably the worst application of the three, but I'm not sure. It, it could end up being pretty decent. And I'm sure there's other things that we haven't thought about that could be pretty good with the card. But I just feel like the card is asking to be built around. Yeah, just just thinking about the, the Kill Fiend, uh, I'm, I'm imagining uh, a deck, a black-red deck with uh, lightning and those kinds of effects. Uh, you're making your opponent discard, then you just leave one creature there and make them discard some more and, you know, kill them with this. Sounds like a plan. Yeah, that sounds like a... Really fun plan, too. Okay, I think I've got one more um, card in black that I want to talk about. You haven't mentioned the card I want, so this better Uh, be it. Oh, man. I don't know if it's going to be it. This is... The one I want to talk about is called Soul Cage Fiend. You're the man. (laughs) All right. Well, you mentioned Suicide Black already. And I think this could be something to consider in that archetype. Uh, costs 
one colorless and two black. So again, costs three. It's a creature demon three two body. And when Soul Cage Fiend dies, each player loses three life. So I think this guy just wants to beat down. What do you think? Yeah, I think this guy has a perfect home in uh, in the Suicide Black deck. You know, maybe two because this this would be the top of the the top of their mining curve. Two or three in that deck, you put him down. Uh, you've already you're playing this deck. You already played a bunch of creatures. You've already de- dealt uh, some damage. You put him down. They they're, they're in a they're in a lot of trouble because if they try and kill him, they're gonna lose more life anyway. Uh, or, or you could just sacrifice him to the to the ah that guy. The name escapes me. You're the same guy. You're yes, <laughs> that guy. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Um, so yeah, I I think he's cheap enough. He's he's got a big enough body. And he's got a relevant ability. I think he will see play in in, a, in an aggressive black deck. Not necessarily mono black control. I'd, I'm not sure if he's he's for that deck. I don't think so. I think no, he's in, think in so an me. aggressive suicide type black deck. Yeah, I think we're on the same page with this card. Um, and I kind of wonder why we haven't seen that archetype show up really in terms of uh, performance. Well, um, I think it's um, it doesn't have enough reach. Um, mm. It's it just it it's very easily controlled by things like uh, I guess white weenie, a little bit of life gain, or some counters. Similar to the burn deck, that one hasn't been seeing a lot of play either uh, because they don't have a lot of card advantage. So they have to use all their cards to try and just get you low on life. And if you can stop any of them. Uh, with some counter spells, with a bigger creature, or you know, just life gain, um, they they just uh, they they give up. They they run out of gas very easily. So this would give them a little bit of of reach. Yeah, a bit more mid game. So we might definitely see. It. So we've been talking about for an hour or so, so we're just going to stop now and finish our Avacyn Restored analysis in the next episode. Before we go, though, I'd like to talk a bit about how some card prices have changed. And As most of you know, there were some cube drafts happening on MTGO, and they gave out time spiral block packs. This will have affected some, some of the cards in that block. For example, Tamagorf went down from around 60 ticks to close to 40 ticks. For Popper... The card I have in my eye on is Serrated Arrows. This is a popper staple used against aggro strategies, and it's not really common. It's found in those pre-built decks. What are those called? I have no idea. They're called the decks that make Serrated Arrows really expensive. <laughs> yeah, well, they're in those, and they're a time-shifted card in Time Spiral. Uh, but time-shifted cards are about as rare as a Mythic is nowadays. So there won't be a lot coming out. But regardless, uh, this is a, a popper card that costs that used to cost around six or seven ticks, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, and it's starting to come down. So if you're trying to get those cards, uh, the more or less by the end of the the second week of the time spiral uh, drafts, which is going to be next. Not this when not this coming Wednesday, but 
the next Wednesday after that. Um, ah, of course, I have to talk in terms of, of uh, podcasting publishing. So uh, I don't know what that date is. But anyway, they're, they're, they're going to be going down in price um, thanks to these, these drafts. So if you want to get some of those, that'll be the time to get those cards. So it's looking like uh, May 16th, I think. You're saying uh, not not this coming Wednesday, but the following Wednesday? Exactly, yeah. So yeah. May 16th, that's when the, the drafts end. So you want to try and get those. If you were interested in, in getting uh, serrated arrows, I would purchase them during the Monday or Tuesday of that week, um, which is when they should be at their cheapest. And because it's a card that is not that is not really part of any other expansion except those two, and it's really a mythic in the one that it's in, I don't think it's ever going to get any cheaper because Popper is becoming more popular every day. So that means more people are trying to get all of these cards, and this one is used everywhere. So just a quick hint on that. Um, there's, there's a couple of other cards that have been seeing some movements. Uh, Crypt Rats. With the, with the advent of the Songs of the Damned deck, uh, that one uses four Crypt Rats. So that one's actually going up. Uh, now, Crypt Rats it's, is a card that is in the Mirage block. So at some point, they will have Mirage block drafts, and that'll bring the, the price down. But until that point, I think that card is going to continue going up gradually. So depending on how if if you need them and you think they're important you probably want to get them sooner rather than later and um, the opposite has happened to Quirion Ranger and Basking Rootwalla because uh, just in February they were giving out as uh, magic player rewards cards so the price on those cards just plummeted well Basking Rootwalla was pretty cheap but Quirion, Quirion Ranger was like four ticks and now it's the original card is down to like one and a half ticks and the promo they're they're giving it away you know bulk bulk prices so it's a good time to get those and that's all i have for financial stuff well that's really good news about serrated arrows and the uh, two green creatures yeah. i actually don't have full play sets of any of those so i Probably should pick those up, but I'm sad to hear about Crypt Rats going up. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't have the playsets. I missed them. Uh, well, they they were expensive. They were like they started at four ticks, and then they went down to like two ticks. And I was mm. like, they're they're gonna continue going down. They're gonna continue going down. And then this <laughs> yeah. deck came out, and then they just went back up. So, uh, because I don't use them in my mono black build, uh, I don't really need them. So un unless I I want to start playing the Songs of the Dam. I'm just going to wait until there's that uh, eventual Mirage Block draft week. Hopefully it'll happen soon. So the uh, the player rewards cards, are they the same artwork or are they different? In this case, they are the same artwork. They're not okay. always, but in this case, they are. Okay. Yeah, you, you, you can get four of those for really cheap for the Aquarion Ranger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really worth it to just get them. They they might go back up at some point. Um, have you played the Stompy deck yourself? Uh, yeah, yeah, I played it a little bit. 
not not a lot, not a lot. But it's 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 the kind of deck you like. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> How's it's definitely that? fun. Well, it's you know it's aggressive. It's it's lots of creatures and some pump. Okay, I guess one of the things that uh, I'm hesitant about with it is being able to use the pump spells and stuff optimally. I feel like I I feel like that kind of uh, aggression is not my strong suit, but maybe it's something I should try and get better at and develop. Well, it's it's fun to play, so I would I would certainly try it, especially now that that deck has gone really down in price. Okay. And from what I can see, the newer versions have changed a little bit over time where, you know, they, uh, they didn't originally play four young wolf. They played three and then some of the creatures were, were kind of different, weren't they? Uh, yeah, well, it's been evolving a little here and there, Okay, but, uh, maybe we can do an episode on it at some point. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, I'm definitely hoping I consider that one a tier two or almost tier one right now. It's it's been foreing. Yeah, it's been showing up a lot lately. So I think it it could definitely be considered tier one, depending yeah. on where we go from there. So we're gonna stop right there for today, but we'll continue with the Avacyn Restored spoiler and more in the next episode. We're gonna try and be submitting a podcast every two weeks, so bear with us. Remember that you can reach us by sending an email to popperscage at gmail dot com. That's one word popperscage or by leaving a comment in mtgcast.com, or in our blog at popperscage.blogspot.ca. If you catch us at Magic Online, be sure to challenge us for a game, or just to say hello. Uh, feel free to add us as buddies. My username is Gabo Cheeto, and Dime Collector is Bamboo Rush. And don't forget to check out Dime Collector's YouTube channel. So until next time, 